0: Before I jump into sermon, a couple things. First of all, thank you to those of you who brought back a baby bottle, who took a baby bottle home, uh, filled it with money, and brought it back to support the pregnancy center. If you uh, haven't brought it back yet, please do so. Even if you didn't get a chance to put some money in it, just bring back the empty bottle because that will cost them. They'll have to go find it and pay for new bottles. So just at least bring that back. We're going to collect them one more week next week. Um, And and a reminder, where's this money going? This is what the back of the bottle says. By filling this bottle... With change, cash and or checks, you are supporting an organization that will do all it can to reach mothers and protect the unborn in our community. And they truly do, they, 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 they fight for the unborn, they, they, they care for the mothers, they care for couples who are in crisis, they provide free ultrasounds, free uh, material assistance, free parenting classes, they even, as much as we pray that uh, a child is not aborted, they even provide free post-abortion counseling, so they are a wonderful center to support that we've been supporting uh, for quite a while now. Um, speaking of the unborn, uh, I want to address roe v wade briefly Uh, as many of you know maybe some of you do not know it was uh, roe v wade was overturned on friday the supreme court ruled that there is not a constitutional right to abortion they kicked it back to the states and now it is for the states to decide on uh, to vote on to debate on Um, and i want to share a few things about that um Tom Sargent and I are going to revive an old podcast that we did last year where we talked about justice matters and, and some controversial subjects. Um, we're going to revive that. We're going to revive that. We were planning to revive it anyway. Um, this is just going to push it forward a little bit. Um, this will be the first one that we discuss in greater detail, and then we're going to talk about other things like the gun violence, violence. Um, and so look, look for that. If you're not on our email list, that's a reason to get on it. But let me just share a few prayers as it relates to this topic of uh, the unborn and abortion and Roe v. Wade. Um, first of all, if you are a pro-choice in here, you are welcome here. I want to make that very clear. You are welcome here. You will disagree with some of the things I'm going to share, but you are welcome here. And I, and I hope that you are felt, made to feel welcome by others who are here. Um, secondly, I do not endorse political parties or po- politicians, candidates from the pulpit. I, I think that is a, um, I think that strays away from my primary job, which is, is to exalt Jesus as the hope, as the, the answer, as the solution, his kingdom coming, his kingdom invading planet earth. Uh, so if you hear in what I'm about to say something that you deem too political, uh, I would respectfully uh, say I, I don't think you're listening. Um, when it comes to matters of justice that are in Scripture, we, 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 we call it, we talk about it, even if it overlaps with politics. And when I talk about a matter of justice that, um, you know, like racial reconciliation, uh, those who uh, lean on the, the left side have always said, wow, that's, that's, that's bold, that's justice, thank you for talking about that. And when I talk about abortion, those on the right would call that bold. Um, but I would like us to look at the Bible and use that as our foundation rather than our political party's platform. First of all, what I pray for, I pray that we would see this not as a win for the political right or for conservatives, but as a win, as a step towards justice. Whether you fall on the conservative side or the liberal side, I pray that we would together see this as a step towards justice for a group of people that have been marginalized, among the most vulnerable in our society, have been oppressed for the last few decades, in 1807, I was thinking about this. In 1807, slavery was abolished in Great Britain. Some people disagreed with it, but now, looking back historically, nobody would say that was the wrong move. People don't say that. Nobody runs on a, on a, on saying, "Hey, I'm gonna don't worry, I'm gonna bring back slavery." Nobody runs on that platform. 1865, slavery was abolished in the United States. Last week, we talked about and celebrated the last slaves to be freed from Texas. Nobody looks back and goes, hey, that, that was wrong for the Republican Party to do that. We are going to try to bring back slavery. Nobody does that. We look back and we say that was justice. That was right. 1954, Brown versus Board of Education. It was ruled that African American students have constitutional right to be in school with white children we look back at that and we say that was right nobody runs on a platform of bringing back segregation we look back and we say that was justice I pray for the day when we can look back when the majority of the people of the United States push for vote for create legislation across the boards in every form of government that protects the unborn, when, when, when abortion is abolished like slavery was abolished, I pray for the day we can look back on and go, man, just like we do with slavery, look back and go, man, can't believe we would do something so barbaric. Thank God we have progressed forward instead of seeing this as a step backwards, as many do at the moment. I pray that if you consider yourself pro-choice, that you would take what I assume to be a desire for the to, for the government to protect the oppressed and the vulnerable. I pray that you would extend that to the unborn. I pray that you would be persuaded differently over time. You know, a series of podcasts that we did last week was or last year was on Justice for the Unborn, and some of the pro-choice people in our community, in our church community, said, I watched those and I changed my mind. I realized. They they wrote in and, and commented on that. I, I pray that happens. I pray that if you consider yourself pro-life that you will put your money where your mouth is and care for and support and sponsor and foster and adopt and come alongside women and couples who find themselves in precarious and scary and financially unstable situations. I pray that young, scared, pregnant women would find in our community not a group of people who will penalize and stigmatize and shame them for the mistakes that they've made, but will love them, show compassion, and share the heart of Jesus with them. I pray that those of you who have had an abortion, some of you have shared it with me, I pray that those of you men who have uh, once upon a time encouraged girlfriends and wives to have an abortion would truly Find the forgiveness of Jesus and revel in his grace and let him wash away the shame that comes. People have submitted cards anonymously asking for forgiveness and asking for the shame to be healed. And uh, God is a God who heals that. He'll meet you there. And I hope to have some stories uh, to share in time. And finally, I pray that none of us would buy into the lie that we are righteous before God Because we are pro-life or against abortion or support pregnancy centers or adopt kids. We are all in need of a savior, the abortionist doctor and the pro-life pregnancy center director. And we all can be declared righteous through the blood of Jesus, both the abortionist doctor and the pregnancy center director. And that abortionist doctor who's performed thousands of abortions, if he Calls on the name of Jesus and bows his knee to Jesus. He will be with me for eternity. And the pregnancy center director who has saved thousands of lives but says, "Mm -mm, I don't need a savior. I'm good enough. Will not. It is by grace we are saved so that no man may boast. So let's pray. Jesus, you promise that you're going to usher in a kingdom of righteousness and justice. We long for that day. We pray that we are a people who can fight for your justice, have your perspective on what justice is in this world, but that we would do so with humility instead of self-righteousness. That we would stand on our convictions, that we would not go along with the culture but will we do so with meekness, gentleness. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for giving me a few moments. <clears throat> okay, so Matthew 7. John just read from there. We're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount next week. Pastor Regal's doing the message next week. He's going to close out the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to move on to another section of the book of Matthew, uh, which is going to be Jesus' authority over the curse of this world. We're going to see his miracles. We're going to see his authority over sin and sickness, and the devil. We're going to talk about that for a month, or, or, or two months, rather. Um, so that'll be starting July 10th. Uh, t- today, here's the main point. I'm just going to tell you up front, get right to it. We can love deeper because we now have a rich and powerful father. That's kind of the main point. Get, 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 get that in your head ahead of time, all right? The, the passage that John just read is about prayer, and it's also about how to treat other people. It's about both, And, 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 you know, he says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. So... However you would want someone to do unto others whatever you would want them to do unto you. It almost seems like two ideas. It almost seems like it could be two sermons. Okay, One's on prayer and one's on loving other people, the golden rule. But Jesus puts them together and he has this interesting word, so in the middle there. So whatever you do unto unto others, whatever you would have them do unto you. He's like saying, in light of what I just said about prayer, I want you to treat others as you would want to be treated. So what's the connection there between prayer and how we would treat others? I want to uh, uh, dive into that. I want to zero in on that golden rule, but look at it in the context of prayer. Here's some questions we're going to be asking What does it mean to treat others how we want to be treated? Because sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes it can be a little hard. Sometimes it can cost us a lot. Hmm? Who does it include? Does it include everybody? Does it include just my family, friends, neighbors? Or does it have to include those people that I, you know, Don't like, disagree with, don't connect with. Why should we live like this? I'll be straight with you. Maybe this is just me, but being told this is the right thing to do isn't enough for me. Not when the rubber hits the road and when I'm called to sacrifice something that is dear to me. Calling it the right thing to do is not enough. We have uh, an innate self-preservation mechanism in place it doesn't do it for me and then how are we to do it how are we to do it when I'm so prone to self-preservation when I'm so prone to selfishness how can I break out of that sometimes I don't even know what the loving thing to do is so I need wisdom and sometimes it's just too darn costly so how are we to do that so those are the questions I want to try to ask the first question let's start there what does it mean to treat others how we want to be treated Again, verse 12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. What does it mean to do unto others as we want them to do unto us? This, again, is called the golden rule. We call it the golden rule. Uh, Jesus was not the first one to say something like this, but he was the first one to say this. Um, As you know, if you've been tracking along with us, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has often said to those listening, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So you have heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say to you, if you have hatred for a brother in your heart, you've you know, murdered him in your heart. So it, he, he, he's raising the bar for us. He does it time and time again throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We've seen this. He's doing the same thing here. Basically saying, you have heard that it was said, and what they have heard said, what both the Talmud and, and Greek philosophers have said, don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. That was, that was kind of, a common phrase. Here's a quote from a scholar, commentator named John Stott. He said this, Confucius, for example, is credited with having said, do not do to others what you would not wish done to yourself. The Stoics had an almost identical maxim. In the Old Testament Apocrypha, we find do not do to anyone what you yourself would hate. So it's in the negative. Don't do something negative to somebody else if you wouldn't want that negative thing done to you. Jesus shows up here, and he's raising the bar once again, and he's saying, do to others, in the positive, do to others what you would uh, want them to do to you. It might seem like a matter of semantics, but it is not. Think about it. Kids, teenagers, think about it. You're in school. Your friends are picking on some kid. Don't do the negative. Don't join in on picking on the kid. That's baseline human decency. Don't join in picking on that kid. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to go further. I want you to do for them what you would want someone to do for you. So that might cost you. That means sticking up for that kid who's being picked on. That might mean telling your friends, hey, I'm not going to sit with you at lunch. I want to sit with this kid who's being picked on. I want to sacrifice my time. I'm going to sacrifice my reputation. I might even uh, sacrifice some friendships with you guys who are doing the picking on so that I can stand up for this guy. That makes sense? You're at work, your coworkers, you know, being a, 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 a real moody, grumpy, you know, they're, they're, they're snapping at people, and you're, you're keeping your mouth shut, that's, that's, that's good, you're not snapping back, that's good, but the extra mile would be to knock on their door and say, hey, are you okay? I, you know, realize that, you know, you're a little snappy, is everything okay, is something going on? Now that you put yourself uh, in jeopardy, you, you could risk them snapping at you again, misunderstanding you, rejecting you. And yet, Jesus is saying, do to others. Show compassion, step out, sacrifice, take a risk there. It's about giving someone the respect and honor and dignity that comes with being an image bearer. It's treating them as if they are a work of art created by the God that you claim to worship. If one of you saw a drawing that one of my kids did for me hanging in my office and you made fun of it and you were, you know, just scoffed at it, that would be like making fun of my kid, right? So when we do negative things to other human beings, it is like disrespecting the God who created them. When we fail to show the reverence and the honor to another human being that God calls us to show them, we are saying to God, that one, that piece of art, not valuable in my book, we are criticizing God's handiwork. Now, of course, this is especially hard with people we disagree with and who do or think things that we find either irrational or despicable. So that brings us to the next question. Who does this include? Who does this include? Again, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophet. Who are the others? I got good news for most of you guys. I'm gonna, the Greek word for others is This is the technical definition of of others. Those who are like you and similar to you in preference, taste, and voting habits. So it's it's not as hard as it seems. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not what it means. Practically, we think that's what it means. That we act. It's not what it means. Others is others. In the context of this whole sermon, it includes Your enemies, love your enemies. It includes those who persecute you, do good to those who persecute you. We've already covered that. So it includes people who are not like you. Friends and non-friends, family and non-family, neighbors and non-neighbors, people like you, people who are not like you. It might even include people who do not like you, who dislike you, who find you annoying. You do good to them, which makes it harder. There are people who can be known as wonderful, loving citizens because they're wonderful and loving to the people who are very much like them in their community. But then it can be incredibly prejudiced towards people who are not like them, who look different, act different, come from a different background, or who just simply avoid the plight of strangers because those strangers are not going to give them the pats on the back that their community is giving them. Slavery was allowed and justified and condoned and promoted in our history because people people who treated each other with dignity and honor treated another race with far less dignity and honor, and less valuable. Abortion, one reason abortion has been allowed is because people do not treat the unborn as an other. They don't count. They haven't been counting. The vitriol and the mocking of politicians, we allow it in our uh, circles. Because we see public figures as either a means to our end or an obstacle to what we deem important. But they are not image bearers. And so we think it's okay to mock them and say hateful things about them. I remember a few years ago hearing somebody, a Christian, a Christian, call um, a candidate scum. I pray we don't hear that anymore amongst each other. Those types of things, that is not honoring to those who God has called us to honor. They are others. Would you want people who disagree with you and your policies to talk like that about you? No. It's one thing to disagree with them, of course. We are to measure and to evaluate their policies and their character, but we are not to get caught up in the mocking and the hateful speech that is not Christ-like. So the others that Jesus is referring to here in verse 12 may be people, it may include people who will not love you back and instead will hurt you, persecute you, bother you do to them as you would have them do to you. Next one, why? Why are we to do this? Why are we to treat others like this? Let's read it again. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This sums up the law and the prophets. That's the first reason. It encapsulates the entire Old Testament command, um, uh, or commands, at as, as least as far as it depends on, or relates to um, your how you treat other people in society and in your community, all the commands about loving, um, you, know, um, you know, not coveting what your neighbor has and, and all the, all the uh, civil codes about restitution, all of that can be summed up here. Just do to others what you would have them do to you. Everything the prophet said about justice and not oppressing the poor and the vulnerable and caring for the fatherless and the widows, all of that can be summed up here. Do to others as you would have them do to you first reason, but it even goes deeper than that, and that's where we got to really zero in on that word so. See that word so? When another translation might say therefore. Whenever you see so or therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? Why is it there? And that connects back to the previous sentences that Jesus just said. So let's look at that again, verses 7 through 11. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So that's, that's on prayer. That's about coming to God. That's about seeing him as Father. What Jesus is saying is he's reminding them, Remember, he's been, he's been talking the Sermon on the Mount. He's been going one thing after another. This is the character you're to have. This is the character you're to have. You're a new people. This is the character you're to have. And then he inserts this thing and says, hey, whatever you ask. Remember, he, I, I think he's reminding us that when we're feeling overwhelmed, I don't know if I could do all that. I don't know if I can love like that and not judge like that. I don't know if I could do that. Because, like, hey, remember, remember, you've been transformed. You've been moved from an orphan to adoption status. You are an adopted son, adopted thought daughter. Through the blood of Jesus, you've trusted in him, and you've been moved into the kingdom of God. You get to call the God of the universe your father, your dad. The Bible tells us that in every Child is, or rather, every person is is loved by God. He is their creator, but He's not the father to everyone. Only those through faith in Christ, they become adopted. They accept His gift. Hey, I paid for your adoption. We accept that. And we become adopted children. John 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive Him, that's Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Naturally, we don't have the right to become children of God. We are sinners who have been alienated from him. We naturally rebel against him. We say, no, I'm not going to submit to you. That's why this world is so broken. So we don't have the right to become children of God on our own. It's like a, a child demanding, I have the right to become president. No, nobody has a right to be president. That's, that's, a, that's a privilege for some. But through Jesus, we have the right to become children of God. Through Jesus, through his sacrifice, through his bloodshed. And when that happens, Jesus is saying here, we've been accepted. Though we are evil, because he even said that, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. So though you are evil, you've been accepted and you get to call God your father, your dad. Needy children is how we get to come to him. And so he will give us good gifts when we ask. He will give us good gifts. Look again at verses 9 through 11. If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Who's going to do that? No, 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 dads don't do that. Are there outliers who are abusive? Yes, of course, but generally speaking, if a child asks for something good, you give them good and good. You don't trick them and say, ah, I'm going to give you poison instead. Now, sometimes our kids ask for something that's not good for them. Sometimes our kids see their friends having snakes and they say, I want a snake. They're like, well, I'm going to give you a snake. Right? Sometimes kids ask for to stay up later than they should or have more dessert than they should. And we have to say, oh, no, I'm not going to give you that. One of our kids eats too fast. They have a tendency to eat too fast and they don't, they don't chew. So they keep asking for more and more and more. And then, and then later on, you know, hours later, everything starts to empty out into their intestines. And all of a sudden, they got a bellyache. They don't feel it at first. And so we got to say, hey, slow down. Chew your food. Not going to give you more yet. Let it, let it sit for a little bit. I won't give you more. Right? Sometimes we have to say no. Sometimes we would just say, just, let's just wait a little bit. Right? As good parents. Well, God, he's all wise. He knows that what we ask for, if we ask for something good, he'll give us something good. If we ask for something that's dangerous for us, he's going to say, whoa, whoa. Sometimes he'll, 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 he'll give us it later. But he's a good dad. If he gave us everything we wanted, that would assume that we are all wise. That we know everything that's best for us. Right? Does anybody claim to be all wise? No, no, we're not omniscient, we're not all knowing, so we we don't always know, but we ask. We get to come to him as children. We don't have to even hyperanalyze. Jesus is saying, have the confidence to know that your good heavenly father will give you good gifts. So you can come, you can come without pretense, you can come without bargaining, you can just come to him as a needy child, you can ask, you can seek, you can knock, and you're going to get him. You might might not get everything you want in the package you wanted in, but you're gonna get him. You're gonna get God as your dad, right? My, My kids come to me for something that maybe is dangerous for them. They're still getting me. They're still getting me. They're still getting me. So Jesus is reminding them who you are. Your identity has been changed. You're an adopted child who gets to come to your father asking him for good gifts. And then, so... Do to others as you would have them do to you. What's the connection? If you belong to a dad who gives you good gifts, who loves you that much, I want you to take that love and overflow it onto others. Take the love that he gives you. gives good gifts. Even though you are evil, he's going to give you good gifts because you're his child. He loves you. You do some stupid things, but he still loves you and gives you good gifts. I want you to take that love and overflow it onto other people who, yeah, they do some stupid things sometimes. They make some stupid mistakes. But I want you to overflow that onto other people. Let that love just overflow onto others. That's the why, because we've been loved so much. John Piper said this. Here's a quote from John Piper. If you really treasure your heavenly father who meets all your needs by only giving you what is good for you, then you will live for others. You're gonna love them. You're gonna treat them with dignity and honor. You're gonna go out of your way. You're gonna sacrifice for them. You're gonna take risks for them. Because God loved you and he gave up his throne in heaven so that he could come and die for you. Take that love and overflow it onto others. That's the why. That's the why. And then finally, the how. How are we to do this? Because while it may sound simple, it's not always easy. And, and sometimes it doesn't even sound simple, right? It's not always, you know, sometimes we, we don't know how to love somebody else. Sometimes it's confusing. Somebody's dealing with an addiction. We're like, I don't know. Do I, do I let them stay in my house longer? Or do I have to kick them out? Or am I enabling them? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes on a day-to-day level, like, you know, th- there might be a day your, your spouse says, hey, I need you to be home on time so that we can go off to this important event. And you're on your way and you're picking up bread at the CVS or milk at the CVS. And you bump into somebody at CVS who seems lonely. And you strike up this conversation. And in your mind you're thinking, this might be a God opportunity to sh- share God's heart with this person who seems lonely. But my spouse needs me home right now. What do I do? Anybody ever been in one of those situations? What do I do? I, I, I want to I love both. But I can't right now in this moment practically. I need wisdom, right, on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes, sometimes we know what we ought to do. Somebody's hurt us and we know we're supposed to forgive them, but our hearts feel so gripped by bitterness or or gripped by that hurt that we almost feel paralyzed to even say hi to them, even greet them with affection without feeling phony. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. And we feel powerless to do it. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I feel powerless to do it. And then, and then, and then thirdly, sometimes we know what we're supposed to do. We have the desire to do it, but we feel like we're scared. We, we don't feel like we have the resources to do it. Because it's going to cost us too much money or, or time or energy or sleep or emotional bandwidth that we feel like we just don't have any more of. So what do we do? What do we do? I just want to offer three things as we close. Three things. Connects back to what Jesus said about prayer. When we need wisdom to know how to treat others, guess what we can do? We can seek God for guidance. He asks his needy children. Come to me. Ask. Knock. Seek. When we don't know what to do, I don't know how to love this person, we get to come to him and pray, God, what do I do? What's the direction I should go in here? How do I love this person? I believe wisdom in its most simplest form is knowing how to love God and other people in any given moment. That's wisdom. We can get to pray to God. He's the God of wisdom. He, that's a good gift he wants to give his children. He wants us to know how to love other people. We can ask for that. There was a situation recently where I was involved in, um, outside of our church, so don't worry, I'm not talking about you. But um, like, kind of confronted somebody about something, and, and other people were involved, and, uh, and they didn't take it too well, and they kind of threw some stuff at me and accused me of some things, so I was like, man, am I being too hard on them? I don't know if I'm being too hard on them. And so I was asking God, God, I don't know, what do I, what do, I do? Am I being too hard? Am I being too soft? What do I do? But thankfully, the other people who were involved, they, one by one, separately, were like, no, no, I don't think you're being too hard. You guys st- to stand on that. S- stick to that. Stick to your guns on that. Um, and so that, in, in my mind, was confirmation that, okay, that's God. I was asking for wisdom. Through a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. That's what Proverbs says. So says, okay, thank you, God. Thank you, confirmation to, to stay this course here. Number two, when we lack power to do what we ought to do, when we need power to love other people and we just don't feel like we have it, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I don't feel like I have the power to do it, we can ask God to fill us by his spirit. If we're his children and we have his spirit living in us, we can say, God, By that same spirit, would you give me the power to show love to this person that I feel emotionally paralyzed to? I don't feel like I can love them right now, but you can help me. I'm about to sit down with this person, and I, I lack utter compassion for them. I'm so bothered by what they did. God is faithful to give you that power, to give you that compassion. You had a fight with your spouse the night before, and you haven't talked to them since, and they're coming home from work, and you're like, okay, I want to greet them with sincere love. God, help me. You can get on your knees and seek God. Ask. Knock on the door. God, I need help loving this person who I live with right now. He will grant it because he's a good dad who loves to give good gifts to his children. And then lastly, number three, when we need to sacrifice something in order to do good to others, guess what we can do? We can ask God to protect us and provide for us. We can ask him to protect and provide for us. If we're going to... If we're going to sacrifice, uh, you know, okay, this is, you know, sh- shallow example perhaps, but you're, you're struggling, you're poor, you come across somebody on the street, I want to be able to, I want to I get them a meal, but this is my last $5, what do I do? You can say, God, I, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a risk here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy them a meal, I'm going to trust that you're going to provide a meal for me. I, I was in that situation when I was in, when living in L.A. I was, like, so broke, and I made this lunch, and I had, a, I had a, my lunch, and I had $5 on me, and I was on the bus, the public bus going to work, and there was this homeless person at the bus stop asking for something, and I'm looking at these two things, $5 and a meal. What do I have to give them? And I had worked hard on this meal. I gave them the $5. I didn't want to give up my meal. And I was sitting on the bus eating my meal, and I was like, I should have given this meal. I should have given this meal because this was more valuable to me, and I didn't give it up. I was convicted. I should have gave it up. I still remember that. We can do that because God's our dad. We can say, God, you provide for me another meal. that's just as good as the one I made. And if you're a good cook, maybe you think that's not possible, but it's possible. Another uh, example. You're you're, going to sit down with somebody that you had a a conflict with. In your mind, they are 90% responsible for it. They have to apologize for 90%. You have 10% to apologize for. And you know the right thing to do is sit down and apologize for your part. But in your mind, that runs the risk of them saying, oh, see, you admit that it's all your fault. Or taking advantage of your apology. Or maybe rejecting your apology. So you don't want to do it. You're afraid to do it. You're afraid that you're going to be taken advantage of. Well, guess what you get to do? You get to go to God and say, God, would you protect me here? Would you protect me from being taken advantage of? Or even if I am taking advantage of, would you protect me? Would you provide for me? Would you help it not to matter? That this person who might take advantage. Let me just do the right thing. Help me to do the right thing. We can go to him because he's a good dad who provides for us. Whatever we feel threatened by. Whatever, whatever somebody might be in the way of. Doing good to them. Whatever we have to give up. You give up sleep to serve somebody. God, would you multiply the few hours that I'm going to get so I feel like I got more sleep tomorrow in order to serve this person? He's a good dad. He does some miracles like that. Remember my main point? This is my main point. There it is. How we can, love deep, we can love deeper because we now have a rich and powerful father. That's the idea. That's what Jesus is saying. You've been transformed. And you've been moved. You've been changed. You've become orphan to an adopted child. You have a dad who wants to richly bless you. So out of that confidence, you can serve other people. If I'm an orphan and I have one loaf of bread on the street and there's five other orphans on the street that I'm living with, I'm going to be very reluctant to share my one loaf of bread with those five orphans. It's the only piece of bread. It's all I got. But if I had been adopted by Bill Gates, let's say, and I got this one loaf of bread, I can say, you know what? I'm going to give this loaf of bread away. Don't worry, guys. I'll be right back. My dad's got a whole lot more bread hmm? and a lot of other things. I'm going to go get the bread. I'm going to get a whole bunch of it. I'm going to bring a cart full. I'm going to hand it out. And when it runs out, I'll, don't worry. I'm going to go back and get my, some more for my dad. And it's going to be enough for me. We get to do that with God. He's a rich and powerful Father. We get to do that. We get to give our lives away, and then just when we feel like we're empty, oh, no, who's going to take care of me? Oh, that's right. My Heavenly Father's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. He's going to watch out for me. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the connection he is making here. So I'm going to call a band up. But before we sing, we're just going to sing one song. We're just going to sing one song. But before we sing this song, here's what I want you guys to do. Would you identify a person, or persons, or maybe it's a kind of group, a demographic, that you have trouble loving? Right now, in this moment, you have trouble loving. You have trouble wanting to bless them, do good to them. Would you try to just identify, just take a moment, Mandy can give us some thinking music, just... Can give us some thinking music, Mandy? Try to identify one person, a group of people that you just would say, yeah, I have, I'm having trouble right now. I'm having trouble showing compassion. Lord, I just pray that you would, if there's somebody, that you would put it on our hearts, show us who it might be. It might be a friend. But right now, they're, they're, it's hard to be friends with them. Might be an estranged family member. Might be someone who owes us money. And we know that they're never going to pay us back. But in our hearts, we're, we're holding on to that. There's still some anger there. Raise your hand if you have uh, been able to identify somebody. Okay, okay, okay. Looks like some of you need more time. (laughs) Now let's stand. Let's stand. Remember the how, remember the how, remember the how. How do we do this? How do we love people when it's hard, when it costs us, when it's confusing? We have a God. We have a Heavenly Father. We get to go to and ask and seek and knock and say, help me live the way you want me to live. In my own resources, I can't do it. But you, you provide the resources. You provide the compassion. You provide the love. Help me to remember the why. You so loved me. While I was a sinner, you died for me. Help me to overflow that same love to others. So we're going to sing a song called, Lord, I Need You. And I want you to make this song personal. Make it a prayer and connect it back to that person or persons you identified. And then we'll close.